Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen Murphy and Ken. Hi Murphy and Ken. Hello there Owen. The World Anti-Doping Agency describes its mission on its website as leading a collaborative worldwide movement for doping-free sport. Sounds good, but I guess if the collaborating part isn't working, you just sometimes have to go in and kick down some doors, which is what's happened around the IWF. You've probably seen the stories around there. President Lamine Diak, who's being investigated by French police for corruption and aggravated money laundering, is suspected basically of taking a lot of money from the Russian Athletics Federation to cover up positive doping tests, which is a fairly spectacular story. According to The Guardian, this police investigation began in June after the World Anti-Doping Agency took the highly unusual step of going mob-handed in the words of one source, into the offices of the IWF in Monaco and leaving with a number of documents. These documents suggested evidence of criminal activity, which led WADA to alert Interpol, which has been building a case ever since. It seems that collaborative spirit has broken down somewhere along the line. Yes, uh, on, it, it does seem a little strange, all right, that um, what, what, what I have in my head is a vision of WADA arriving at the front door of the IWF and being asked if they're the police. And they're like... I'm your worst nightmare, man. Get the hell out of the way. And then just flashing a, you know, extra vision card in the face of the uh, security guard's face. How many, when it, mob-handed, I mean, how many people do you have to have with you for it to be mob-handed? I'd say four or five burly gentlemen is mob-handed. Does Mob-handed, does that mean um, there's a mob of you or you're accompanied by people who look like they might work for the mob? Big men with thick necks. I think, no. it, I think it's the former. I'm looking up the urban di- dictionary here, Ken. And it, it appears to be a, a term usually associated with the police. Police right. would often turn up mob-handed. Right, so you know, you, you get the scene, ready for action, ready to take some documents here. Yeah. Which is extraordinary when you think that these guys are supposed to be working together <laughs> to catch the cheats. Well, sometimes you have to just oh, no, I'm not know, saying I take go- the relationship into yeah. you know, a different realm. Yeah. You know, the, where I'm col- the collaboration is now working in this fashion. We arrive mob-handed, we take some of your stuff, and then... Thank you for your cooperation, and we'll chat to you in the courts. What we need you to do is not Not, shred anything. Yeah, not shred. Don't try and stop the mob. Don't stop the mob. Uh, own and uh, and see see where that takes us. Uh, Whatever about Diak, I think the most interesting character today, uh, given that this news has been going for about twenty four hours, is Seb Coe. Lord Sebastian Cohen, uh, exactly his position on all this. He is the current president, after all. He took over from Diak uh, only a couple of months ago. And at that time, he said, he will always be our spiritual president and he will certainly be my spiritual president. So, <laughs> now, I know Not you, a lot of wiggle room left no, there. I know you're supposed to say something nice about the guy you're taking over from, but you don't have to be that nice. You, yeah. know, you can leave something a little bit up in the air. Well, maybe Seb Coe, I'm sure, would say that he never suspected that Monsieur Diak would be. Oh, I'm sure he would say that. Yeah, like but uh, according to a piece I read by Matt Lawton today in the Daily Mail, mm-hmm. he would have been aware of the fact that Diak's son was under investigation, and a number of other people, a number of other these uh, um, senior officials in the IWF were under 
varying degrees of scrutiny, even mm. though nobody at that stage knew that it necessarily led to the door of the... But if, this, if the guy's son is under investigation, you've got to start worrying. Well, shall the fathers be punished for the sins of the sons? <laughs> you know? When they're uh, the son's boss, you kind of have to start, you know... Admittedly, some people might... Uh, might hear a fact like that and think to themselves, hmm, that is interesting, and, and start drawing um, inferences and so on. But uh, Seb Coe is evidently refreshingly free from such prejudice. Yeah. He's just that. able to take each man on his merits. His son resigned as marketing executive after being accused of involvement in corruption aimed at the same kind of stuff, covering up doping scandals in Russia. So we'll talk about all this and particularly where it leaves Seb Coe. Uh, the US Murph today is going to feature incredible US is back, by the way. US Murph is back. back. Well, I mean, we, there have been a couple of weeks where we haven't had him. So I, I know that many people are excited by the prospect, Don. But he's always on our, he's always on our Skype system here, Murph. It's just a matter of turning the fader up. And getting him talking, he's always there, ready to ready to go. He incredible scenes in Kansas, where the Royals, their baseball team, had their homecoming after winning the World Series for the first time in thirty years. The parade was absolutely spectacular, looking double the amount of people who live in the city made it to the city to see their heroes. So a few bandwagon jumpers, I think we might call them in Ireland. There, well, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that there is a pale, some sort of pale around Kansas City, and they were just bringing in a few of those guys. One of the heroes is a player called Johnny Gomez, who took the mic and lit it up. Now this guy, it's not exact. we're not talking the Cristiano Ronaldo figure here, we're talking more the workaday guy who's playing about 20 games in the season. So not a superstar, but clearly the man most comfortable with public speaking. Hey, guess what? Cy Young winner! Not on our team. Beat him. Rookie of the year! Not on our team. We beat him. MVP of the whole league. Sorry, guys, not on our team. But we beat that guy too. Do you know why we beat him? Because all y'all people had our backs. And Dayton Moore put this team together. And Yost delivered it by being a captain of the ship. All right, a few things here. That sound you hear at the end was our friend Johnny dropping the mic, sort of tossing the mic in towards the crowd there, rock and roll style. The I like the fact that he said, oh, another visual point to make is at one stage there when he said, well, he keeps talking about the players basically not having to start, mm. with the team not having to start players, but beating the asses of the other guys. At one stage he turns around, sorry guys, none of you are the best player, and then turns back to the crowd, but we beat the, guy with the, beat the team with the guy on it. And uh, I like the fact that I'm not politically correct, I'm going to say it as it is, say it as it is, say it as it is. We whoop their asses is as far as he could go, as far as he could stretch the political incorrectness. <laughs> Not exactly wild. Did you enjoy that, Ken? Um, yeah, um, it was uh, It was pretty strange. It reminded me a little bit of Pepe Reina's uh, part in the um, Spain celebrations. What, what was that again? Well, basically, that he's, he, he was taken so that he could em- later MC the welcome home ceremony. That the, the the full extent of his contribution to those World Cups was uh, emceeing the homecoming, uh, yeah. but I mean that's fine. I mean, like I think what you need if you have gold plated self confidence, as our boy Johnny there, who had not a massive impact. I mean, US ref can tell us more precisely, but I mean the guy was by no means their star player. I mean, if if you can you know bring some unbridled enthusiasm to the the homecoming, then. You know, your place in history is secure. Let's get to one of these. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, not me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mama. Click, 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 click. Today's scumbag, Pork Scully. He's emailed in the second captains at irishtimes.com. Hi, Porg. Thanks hey, for your Porg. Email. How you doing, you big scumbag? I'm afraid that there was one major negative in what was an otherwise brilliant Rugby World Cup. I noticed this behaviour creeping into the bars of Ireland during the Six Nations. I cannot believe that some rugby fans, in inverted commas, and capitalised as well, I mean, thought that it was appropriate to turn around to the whole bar and go, shh, 
whenever Sexton or Madigan were lining up to take a penalty. At first, I quietly laughed, thinking that they were merely taking the piss out of the fans who were actually at the game and who were staying silent so as not to put the kicker off. A few penalties later, I realised that these deluded fools wanted everyone in the bar to pause their conversation so as not to put Johnny Sexton off his kick. Then, at a different pub, during the Ireland-Italy match in this year's World Cup, the number of people partaking this absurd behaviour had clearly increased. Their shhs were even more, even hissier, apparently, portraying their absolute belief that the noise of the pub could actually put Sexton off his kick, who was in a different country at that precise moment. Maybe I'm too sensitive to these things, but would appreciate Ken and Murph's support in ending this nonsense. Uh, well, I support you 110%. Uh, you scum- uh, what, what was the scumbag's name? Sorry, Porg. Uh, Porg was the scumbag, yeah. Okay, Porg. Um... Yeah, I mean, it is it is quite ridiculous. I mean, I, for one, I, I have uh, some reservations about watching sporting events in pubs. Uh, Go on. You know, I'm not, I, I just, I try and avoid it where possible. It's all because I, I want to hear the, 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 the commentary. You know, like, I, I, like, there is a lot to be said for, you know, the uh, uh, experiencing it, you know, amongst a crowd of people. I think that yeah. there's definitely worth in that. But... The worth of that is, for me, outweighed by, I want to hear the commentary, I want to see what's going on, uh, I, don't I want to know what's going on, and I want to have a good view of the TV. I don't care about the commentary, as long as you can see what's happening. You know, commentary isn't, isn't essential. Hmm. Uh, actually being able to see what's happening, that's often the problem with yeah. watching in a pub, you don't really get to properly see it. So, so the shushing, you know, I could understand it if they were shushing to hear some, like, golden piece of an ad, but they were actually just shushing so that they could hear the silence in the ground in a different country. Well, maybe they feel that they're sending some negative psychic energy Johnny Sexton's way. Well, I just, I just think there's no point in getting annoyed with people like that. Just hope they don't cut themselves um, on, their, on their pint glasses, really, would be the... <laughs> you know, you just have to hope that they're going to be all right uh, and be able to, to get home safely and all that kind of thing. There's, there's no point in, in losing your temper. I mean, just... Uh, so you're not getting behind Pork's campaign fully? Well, look, just tell him to get out of the pub and watch a match by himself. Uh, well, no, we broadly sympathise. Yeah, okay. But uh, the the solution to this problem starts with you, Podrick. Acceptance of other people's stupidity. Yeah. Uh, and if you can accept that, then I think you'll find that life life gets a lot easier. It is. Yeah. There's know? a lot of there's a lot of dumb people out there. Yeah. And if you can find find it in yourself to to live with that, to accept that, and to and to just get on as though. You know, a complacent, really arrogant feel f- feeling of your own superiority can come in handy. What I will say, Pork, is you didn't see him missing many penalties, did you? So that, clearly the fans are doing something that right. That is also true. Nick Harris of SportingIntelligence.com is ready to talk to us about this massive scandal in the IWAF at the moment. Nick, athletics is facing, I've seen a lot of people calling it the biggest scandal in its history. Would you, would you go that far? Um, I think we've had we've had a lot of biggest scandals in the history of athletics since Ben Johnson in '88 and and um, Marion Jones and, and all sorts of other things. I mean, it's clearly a huge scandal, and the thing of this time that sort of separates it and that might give it credence to, to describe it as such is obviously now we're talking about a former president of the world governing body, apparently personally involved in massive kickbacks to cover up. Um, doping. So you've moved from a case of individual athlete or groups of athletes um, doping to institutional corruption at the very, very highest level. So from that point of view, it couldn't be more serious or more damaging to the integrity of athletics, whether it sort of has got wider tentacles, stretches beyond a few people at the IAAF, stretches beyond Russia. I mean, it's certainly got the potential to be uh, the type of thing that, that just massively discredits the IAAF and, and pulls athletics apart and, and causes everybody to question the integrity of the sport going back years and years and years. So absolutely, it's got the potential to be. One of the... Uh, when you say it's got the potential to be, what what has to happen for that potential to turn to reality? Well, obviously, at the moment, we're talking about allegations, aren't we? We, we You know, we, we, there's reports that... Uh, um, um, that the former IWF president, Lamin Diak, you know, was paid up to uh, a million euros, 600,000 pounds or, or thereabouts 
in order to cover up a positive or, or, or be party to the cover-up, uh, allegedly, of, of positive dope tests by Russian athletes, and that uh, Dr. Gabriel Dalle, the, the former director of uh, the medical and anti-doping department of the IAAF, is under investigation, criminal investigation, again, uh, allegedly for taking bribes relating to the same thing. Um, and also that DX legal advisor, Habib Sisse, is under investigation. Now, clearly these are allegations, these are investigations, nothing has been proved yet. You know, we haven't gone through course law, so just for legal reasons, we obviously have to caveat this with allegedly, and we don't know, we don't know exactly what the details are, let alone whether they've been proved. So all that's got to be gone through. And, and, and then the question, of course, is, is this just the tip of an iceberg? Was this just? and I say just in inverted commas, italicized, was this just some of the very most senior people in the RAAF on a few occasions doing it, in which case it's very, very, very bad uh, and extremely serious and, and woefully inadequate and a massive scandal? Or is it, in fact, uh, evidence of a, a systematic failure and much more widespread corruption over years and years and years? And I think there's obviously a hell of a lot more that we need to know about this case before we know the true scope of it. Um, yeah. That's why. That's why. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not serious. Don't get me wrong. But there's so much more that we don't know here. Um, uh, you know, even just give me one another second just to expand sure, on that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Sunday Times uh, sort of in association with ARD, uh, with expose over over this summer uh, about the, the the mountain of sort of anomalous blood results that the IWF had knowledge of that the Sunday Times and ARD alleged were not followed up. You know, obviously the, the IWF over over the summer were massively keen to say that they'd done everything and been at the forefront of doping. Seb Coe, who was then in the running for the presidency, which he then got, said that the articles were a declaration of war on his sport. Uh, and and there was sort of battle lines drawn of the IWF saying we've always been at the forefront of doping and 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 it's ridiculous to suggest they haven't. The Sunday Times through their leaked um, information in ARD are alleging that there was sort of systematic um, lack of follow up on on doping cases. Now su- supposing that it turns out that ARD and the Sunday Times are right and there has been over many years, years perhaps decades, systematic failure to follow up on highly suspicious blood results and, and doping tests, you know, that sort of undermines the credibility of track and field athletics going back decades, in which case, you know, uh, do we get into a situation where athletics is not merely a sport in which a lot of us sort of raise eyebrows each time we look at it, into, into cycling level suspicion that in actual fact, the whole thing was without credibility for the last two decades, like, you know, we now view cycling in the so-called EPO era, where, where we can pretty much look at everything that happened between the sort of early to mid nineties and and sort of the early the mid noughties and say, well, that entire era was tainted by EPO use on an industrial scale by the whole peloton. I mean, these are the sort of questions that we're asking now, and, and I guess there's a long way to go before we know the full answers to that. Yeah, it's funny, Nick, that you mentioned cycling. I was thinking of the of of the cycling example in those years you talk about when I read this particularly interesting detail, the Guardian are saying that. Uh, WADA took the highly unusual step of going mob-handed, is how one source suggests, into the offices of the IAAF in Monaco, and they left with the documents. They then uh, read up, read up on these documents and sent them to Interpol, who built the case from there. So it was the case that WADA, actually, according to, to these reports, went in, sort of demanded these, uh, went around with the heavies, demanded these documents, brought them out, uh, and then went from there. Which is incredible, really, because WADA had an unbelievably abrasive relationship with cycling in those Lance years with Hein Verbruggen and with Pat McQuaid and with people involved yeah. in that sport. But I don't know if they ever went to quite these lengths. Well, no. And, and again, I mean, what we have to bear in mind, of course, in terms of WADA is that parallel to all this, and since the ARD is a German broadcaster who last December made the allegations about state-sponsored doping in, in Russia, um, uh, on the back of that, um, the WADA set up uh, the independent commission headed by the former WADA president, Dick Pound, to look into those allegations to, uh, to assess whether, in fact, you know, whether they were true, basically, and to what extent they were true. So Dick Pound has been looking since since late last year into into whether there has been state-sponsored doping in Russia. What happened over the summer, of course, the Sunday Times and the other the revelations about the IAAF was then sort of bolted on to Dick Pound's investigation about um, 
cover-ups in track and field athletics and and doping and and it was announced last night that actually dick dick pound's investigatory findings are going to be presented uh, revealed published on monday this coming monday the 9th of november in geneva so that's been going on alongside this and i think this is all interlinked what we don't know of course is what we don't know what we haven't yet had confirmed rather is whether something that dick found dick pound found in his investigations he then said to wada look this is urgent enough that we need to act on and therefore wada went to interpol and said look this is ongoing and it's criminal it needs to be thank you know it needs to be action now we can speculate that might well have happened, and I think there's probably some circumstantial evidence to suggest that Dick Pound's investigations have, have probably informed or led to part of what's happened in the last few days. We won't know any of this until Monday or later. Um, but, but but coming back to your question, you know, are WADA taking this more seriously than it took cycling? Well, you know, we all learn lessons by things that happen, and perhaps WADA know that they need to be and can be more proactive these days and that and that they have been more proactive and in helping what's happened in the last few days but certainly monday will be an interesting occasion matt how uncomfortable position is seb cohen now the new president in on taking up office he described dyak as saying uh he will always be our spiritual president he will certainly be my spiritual president well i imagine he was squirming yesterday uh when this the news came that dyak was under suspicion, uh, squirming, uh, uh, frankly, his car crash approach to the Sunday Times um, revelations in the summer and to the ARD revelations. You know, he described the reports of a declaration of war on our sport, which is frankly embarrassing. He also um, described two, the two world-renowned experts on, on blood doping, um, Michael Ashenden and Robin Parasotto, who, who sort of you know, informed the Sunday Times report and, and analysed all the IAAF database for them as so-called experts, which is just pathetic, nothing short of pathetic to, to call the world's two foremost experts on this subject so-called experts. So he will be or should be thoroughly embarrassed at his own approach to this to this whole episode. Let's not forget as well that he's a paid sort of, he's got a paid consultancy relationship with Nike who, who are paid... Um, sponsors of, of one of the most notorious dopes of recent times, Justin Gatlin. So Sebco shouldn't be in a very comfortable position with all this. If I were him, you'd be cringing in a corner as this stuff comes out, thinking um, he desperately needs some PR advice at the very least uh, about uh, humility and, and dealing with this stuff rather than coming out and waving the we're at the forefront, we've done nothing wrong type approach so I'd imagine he's feeling pretty embarrassed today yeah and embarrassed is possibly a good way of describing it Nick what can he do to to, I was supposed to mitigate the damage I mean that's not really the way in an ideal world you would think that these these guys in charge the guy Seb Kostatcher in charge of a sport the size of athletics might learn from the past of that sport might learn from cycling and maybe might learn whatever about humility that that they have to take the lead uh, on this rather than being it seems like he's being reactive here when really they have to take control of the situation in some way are you confident that he can do that that the IAAF can actually um, can actually take it on now themselves because at this stage they're being investigated but certainly Diak and these guys are being investigated by police Anything that comes out of the IAAF now, people are going to be somewhat dubious about. What is the best step for them now, do you think? Uh, well, the best step for them would be to say um, we're, you know, that they're shocked, saddened, and surprised. This is taken by surprise. They honestly didn't know this was going to come, you know, that, that they're very, very sorry. They need to apologise. Sabco needs to apologise for his, frankly, ridiculous and pathetic uh, reaction in the first place to say that they will do absolutely everything they can to help the authorities, that they will, you know, just make all the right noises now and say, look, it appears that we were we were far too early in saying that you declared war on our sport. You know, we're, we're now willing to do everything we can. We're really sorry that we've taken this approach. I mean, Sabco personally needs to sort of sever his relationship with Nike. He needs to he needs to sort of accept that there's a major problem here. Um, he needs to do everything he can to find out how the hell this happened. Um, am I confident that they'll do the right thing? No, I've got zero confidence that they'll do the right thing at all. It's the same as I've got zero confidence in uh, FIFA reform. Um, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not massively optimistic. <laughs> no, it's a pretty, no, it's a pretty grim picture, Nick, but that's the way it is, I suppose. Listen, uh, Nick Harris, SportingIntelligence.com. Thanks very much for chatting. Cheers, thanks. 
flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. All right, pretty strong stuff there from Nick on Sebco. Certainly not absolving him of any any blame for his <laughs> rather patchy public relations mm. game so far in the last couple of months. It's quite interesting because these are the guys that we talk about in other sports who've been in charge of organisations that have faced massive issues. Seth Blatter, Pat McQuaid, these sort of characters are not, they're not known worldwide until they become presidents of these associations. Where Sebko is a double Olympic champion, he's a lord for crying out loud, Ken, a lord. There's, well, I think there's... Um... He's a baron, actually, yeah. The Lord Sebko. Well, they're all lords. Uh, he's what, a English, baron. English people. <laughs> uh, now, English English people who have been... Who well, we'd like to thank peers. Lord Nick Harris for speaking to us. Lord Nick. Uh, <laughs> Lord Harris is always an entertaining guest. <laughs> we'll have uh, uh, Lord Wilson uh, on the football show. We'll have, sure, sir, we'll have sir, sir John Bruin, I'm sure. Uh, when they... Peer, peers on our, our lords, uh, as as uh, Seb, Seb Co is, he was uh, honoured by the Queen. And what, the Baron is a certain... Strain of lord. Well, a baron is just a rank in the in the in the peerage or whatever. How, how like a feudal up? rank, uh, not that high. Ah, that could be what beach. is it? Like? Do men ever visit beaches? Owen. Sorry. No, Do it's you... it's not a it's not actually a question. It's a mnemonic device. Uh, yes. Marquis. Yeah, how, how do you say that? Is it Marquis? <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> no, is it Marquis? The Marquis of Queensbury. The Marquis. Yeah, you would say it. You wouldn't say the Marquis of Queensbury. No, probably not. No. The Marquis is the thing you have a wedding in. Yeah, so the Marquis. I mean, Marquis. Okay, let's say yeah, Marquis. Yeah, no, okay, so we've got Marquis, yeah. We don't, yeah. yeah. Do men visit... Be- ever. Vi- Viscounts. Oh, ever. Uh, is Earls. Earls, yeah. Earl. Earl, and Viscounts. Yeah, Viscount. Visit beaches is Baron. Baron. Well, then Baron's really high then. No, it's low. Oh, you're sorry. Duke. Top, top Duke is... T- come on. I don't know. How many dukes me, are, Do you think there's a duke knocking around every parish pump in England? Come on. Dukes are, are, are big. Dukes okay. are important. Dukes so if are they're, important. If they're, dukes. One, end of, if they're dukes. In one end of the Whatever. scale, then the baron must be... A, basically, a baron is a bit of a two-bob uh, um, rank, hmm. to be fair. Owen. I mean, if you're... Grow up in England and you do not become a baron. You got to ask the questions. Well, look, I'd, say you're, bo- I'd say you're either a born one or you're not. Unless I suppose. No, no, you can, you, you can become one. You can pull you up by your bootstraps. You, you can absolutely become one. Yeah, although I don't know if you can then pass it on to your uh, children. That's I think that's the meaning of a life peerage. For instance, Seb Co is now Baron Co, but I don't think Seb Junior, if if if, if indeed he is called Seb, hmm. gets to be also the next Baron Co. But the yeah. point, uh, the point that you were making originally uh, about the Sepp was Ladder. I was I making a point? Sorry, well, on, yeah. uh, <laughs> the Sepp Ladder, Pat, Well, I think that a lot of people think that right. Okay, if you're an administrator, completely blinded to the faults of your organisation, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of because it's been your whole life, and you can't really, you know, th- this idea that oh, if if FIFA is is messed up then you know the, my entire life the thing that I've dedicated my entire life to must be messed up and so there's just like this really small minded at all costs we must protect this organisation that I've dedicated my life to Sebco has served in government has been elected an MP has run has, the Olympics has run the Olympics has like been a brilliant athlete for the, like the first 40 years 35 years of his life was all about being an absolutely brilliant athlete so surely you would think that he doesn't need the IAAF. No, it, why is he? Why, why did he take this job? Yeah, well, why did he take the job? You would have thought is to right. Everything has been messed up. I've seen. I've lived in athletics my entire life. This entire thing is a complete joke. Let's try and clean it up. Uh, that's the only reason why I would see him wanting the job. Him wanting the job so he can protect the IAAF. It's completely absurd to me. Yeah, utterly bizarre way of uh, of of thinking. Yep, no, that's a fair point. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is ready to go. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I have to walk up. 
I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down What you doing down here, you Well, when we spoke to Richie Sadler, he was in to talk to us a little bit about um, his, his views on Jose's struggle, um, the loyalty, the touching loyalty of the Chelsea fans, John Terry's views on uh, the level of. Uh, football you have to have played before he will begin to take you seriously as a critic and uh, and we also well we've also got the, the audio of my interview with Ian Eyre from a couple of days ago oh yeah this was at the Web Summit how was your Web Summit experience the Web Summit did you yeah. savour the last one in Dublin uh, yeah, well actually did I you take a look around as you walked out and said I'll never see this again <laughs> <laughs> or did you say I what, exactly, what exactly is this? I, I did see, I thought it was Barry Lundenning or somebody. I, I, was say, I, going, I can't fully work out what the Web Summit actually is. I did think to myself, um, I was pretty bloody amazed to hear the news of Lisbon's world-class transport and uh, tech infrastructure. <laughs> uh, given that the last time I was there was May 2014 for the Champions League final. <laughs> so they must have got fairly busy in the 18 months or so that elapsed between uh, then and now. What, no, it's a dump. no, it's not. It's not Shankaran. It's not a dump at all. Thanks for visiting. Again. It's a beautiful city, very beautiful city. Um, but I wouldn't say that it necessarily has a world class transformation. I mean, I remember having to walk home, walk back into town after the Champions League final. <laughs> Sorry, I just said that the most first world problem ever. To do it. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I had to walk. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> I missed the media shuttle bus, and then I had to walk. Well, no, no sorry, okay, but no, sorry, no, in, the, okay, in the context, sorry. sorry. No, no, sorry, I'm but sorry in again. the in the context of sorry. a world a discussion about we're, we're world class transport infrastructure, I want everyone to know that we're holding our hands up. We apologize. In the context of a discussion about a world class transport infrastructure, the fact that you have to walk for like an hour and a half, uh, to, because there's there's no transport infrastructure uh, <laughs> to speak of, uh, well, I mean, is surely relevant. They were yeah. caught in the hop. It's the Champions League final. You could never have known that the world was going to happen. So you're surprised that it's moving from Dublin to Lisbon? No, not not that surprised. I mean, it's. You know, obviously they, they kind of fell out. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot of interesting correspondence that was published about it. I don't know if you took the time to read through that. Didn't read through it. Now, f- follow the story as it happened. Ken. I'm going to be honest, I didn't read through all the correspondence. I thought it was interesting. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, I read uh, I read some of it. Yeah. On the one hand, I can imagine some people might have thought that Paddy Cosgrave had a, didn't kind of tug the forelock enough in his dealings with the government. Maybe he ought to have been a little bit more grovelly in his in his manner. On the other hand, I'm not really sure why they just didn't really seem to answer him or, you know, there seems to be this reluctance to actually engage with the issue or, like, talk about it. And, like, it seemed like the Dublin City manager couldn't meet them to talk about traffic. I'm like, is the Dublin... It's the Dublin City manager, not, like, the Emperor of Japan, you know? I mean, why couldn't they have met to talk about traffic? Is that not really what the job is? I don't know, to be honest. Mm. I'm not really sure. Um, you want to come back in there, man? Well, no, just, I think, uh, uh, incompetence on one side and uh, limitless self-importance on the other side <laughs> usually means that there are going to be some issues. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be uh, having read most of the transcript until I got sickeningly bored uh, between uh, the Web Summit and uh, the government, I think that, that would, that's probably the reason why we're we're all heading to Lisbon <laughs> there, next year. There was, a, obviously, the fact that they're, they're going to be moving to Lisbon, and everybody knows that now, meant, I think, the the kind of public reaction to it was a bit different this year. I mean, in terms of it was a bit more, a bit more critical. Mm. You think, you know? yeah? I think so, yeah. I mean, you could see one of the issues that had, that had come up was this issue of nobody getting paid. Well, not nobody getting paid. I mean, well, the owners of the Web Summit presumably are making some money out of it. Yeah, but also people working on the staging, etc. I think largely journalists and, and broadcasters being asked to go and, say, chair interviews, but yeah. not being paid for their time. Yeah, such as me. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I picked up zero euros for that uh, Ian interview. Chat. Um, I mean, I was doing it because I thought we'd get the Ian Aaron interview for this podcast. I mean, you know. You thought that's what... You were originally when you were contacted about it, you thought you were interviewing for the podcast as That's opposed what I to thought. at the Web Summit stage. Yeah, and then at the end it was like, well, okay, well, f- all right, okay, well, fair enough, I'll I'll do that. We'll do the interview as well. We were meant to get another interview as well, but then we couldn't we couldn't do that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult 
It's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, thing to. I mean, I'm not talking about just journalists here. I mean, yeah, pretty much everyone there. Nobody's getting paid to turn up at it. Um, from the point of view of journalists, say people who who had to do interviews and so on. Okay, there's a certain amount of preparation involved in that work. Mm-hmm. You're being asked to work for free. Is that is that legitimate? Um, <laughs> Emmett, Emmett Malone had a funny tweet. <laughs> yeah, well, Emmett's tweet was like. Because this was, I, I saw, for instance, Willie Parkinson had tweeted about it. Miguel Delaney had had mentioned it, you know, was asked to do something, was told there was no payment, said, uh, no thanks. Emmett's revelation was that he had got a call, I think last year, saying, and the call began, Emmett, great news. <laughs> got great news for you, yeah. <laughs> and apparently, apparently what then followed was an offer for Emmett to come along and, you know, for no payment, do some work. Um, I, I do think, though, that the the reaction, the public reaction this uh, this week, kind of strikes me as this thing. There's an element of the parasitic about the web summit in that it comes to a city. We've got this web summit. It's amazing. People go the first year. The second year, it's like, uh, oh yeah, I think I think we know what this is. The third year is, yeah, you know, does is the emperor wearing any clothes here? And then we've gotten an offer from Amsterdam. And Amsterdam's world-class infrastructure and uh, transport will mean that this website, Web Summit 2020, will be the biggest and the best yet. Mm. And I kind of feel like there might be an answer to that, but you know, maybe that's just. I, I don't, I don't really know where I fit, where I stand on the question of payment. I mean, for instance, would the, would the whole thing be possible if everybody had to be paid? Pfft, maybe it would. Maybe it would just decrease the margin for those who actually run the Web Summit. On the other hand, you know, and there's also the fact that the idea of people working for free is not a good idea. Yeah. What, it, what it means is that it drives, down, it drives down wages for everybody who's trying to make a living. And ultimately, you're left with a situation where only people who can afford it anyway can afford to work in this. It's guy. also it's like amateurism. Yeah, you know? it's also, and I'm, I'm sure the vast majority of people don't really care whether journalists get paid or not for certain, certain types of work. But it's a massive corporate venture. I mean, it's not you. It's not charity work we're talking about here. Yeah. Pe- people are making at the very top are trying to make money out of this thing. Are making money out of this thing, presumably, and yet they want other professionals to to do their job. Well, they're, without they're, actually they're inviting they're time. inviting people to be part of it. You know, maybe if we all if we all work together uh, for you know towards a common goal, the improvement of humanity. Uh, maybe particularly <laughs> that's, what, that's what the web summit particularly about? the tiny section of humanity that actually owns the web summit but you know I mean if, if people are prepared to come together in a spirit of cooperation just to sort of exchange some cool ideas you know uh, maybe you can you know maybe maybe we're all getting something out of that even if the thing that we're getting out of it isn't exchangeable for goods and services Where's my virtual reality headset? Well, they did have one of those there, but I didn't get to try it. People were saying, oh, you got to try the just, Oculus Rift. Well, it's just amazing. Give me my, just give me my headset. I was looking around the Oculus Rift. I put it on. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm looking out over a city. And then I looked down the ground. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm right at the edge of the cliff. I kind of jumped back like this. And, uh, I mean, the, just think about the implications of that. I don't it's, <laughs> it's US Murph time. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Capitino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Brian Murphy, the 2015 World Series champions are the Kansas City Royals. Are you happy? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you guys want to talk baseball. That's oh, a yeah. shocker. That last time I talked to you was the uh, you guys are headed off to Cardiff for the Rugby World Cup. We don't want to talk it, about that, Brian. We do not <laughs> want to talk about the, the World Rugby Cup World Cup. We've given up on rugby. Rugby is no longer a sport here. I don't even know who won the tournament in the end. To be honest, yeah, we, we you guys showed well out. to make it to the final eight. So, but obviously something happened over there. If you guys want to come back and talk baseball, so that's great. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, I am happy for the Kansas City Royals, and I don't know. You know, we always talk about the Irish population that comes to America, and you guys all hit the you, you guys all paint by numbers. Everybody goes to Boston. Everybody goes to New York, and then the next level down, everybody goes to San Francisco or Chicago. Chicago yeah. 
But nobody, I can't imagine many of your listeners make a point out of seeking out Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, you know, you do see the odd Irish pub there in town simply because there's so many flipping Irish descendants here in this country through the hundreds of years. You're going to get them somewhere. But that's a fun little town, man. It's it's definitely it ain't New York. It ain't Paris, France, but it's got its own Midwestern charm. And I will tell you, having been there last year when my beloved Giants won their third World Series title in seven games behind the horse that was Madison Bumgarner, Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, is that the, the Kansas City fans just they stuck with me forever because they were so incredibly gracious and nice. And sports is usually filled with such uh, hostilities and increasing violence, et cetera. They always were very ge- um, they're very ge- it's the Midwestern stereotype. Like you always hear about them raising barns for their neighbors, you know, in the 1800s. I think it still <laughs> translates to today. So they I don't think there's a single arrest in their entire celebration. And I have to tell you guys, if you have a chance, go look at the pictures from the Kansas City Star on yesterday's parade. That's one of the most imp- you know, parades are almost Cliche at this point, everybody does a parade. Great. We know what you're going to do. You're going to get in a float. Fans are going to cheer, blah, blah. This one was different. It was like a stunning display of humanity on a beautiful day in Kansas City. Leaves changing in the Midwest. Twice twice the population of Kansas City turned up for the the parade, apparently. The the population of Kansas City is 400,000, and 800,000 people showed up for the parade, which you'd have to say is pretty impressive. Everyone brought a friend. I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, by population, it's the most impressive parade turnout I've seen in the States in, in X number of years. I can't Outside remember. Outside of I, communist I mean, USSR, this is, the, uh, this is the best turn up at a parade, I would have thought. <laughs> it's like, a, uh, it's like a, uh, the, the, the hired Koreans who mourned Kim Jong-il. Remember them? They, uh, <laughs> all those millions and millions of them that lined the streets sobbing hysterically, right? But uh, hopefully the Kansas Cityans were doing it of their own volition. Well, I'll tell you this. They canceled schools there in all the prominent suburban school districts where all the people are raising their families. I distinctly remember in San Francisco in 2010, all the suburban communities said, no, you got to go to school. There's no nonsense. Kansas City said, we're canceling school. So all those kids got to go and enjoy it. They really did have a, an amazing esprit de corps and sense of community that was played out by that team. I really admired the way they played. They were a very, 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 very gutsy team. They showed a lot of a lot of cojones at really, really tense times. They made great plays and, and always came back. So I think I'm being very magnanimous towards them because I know my Giants beat them in the World Series last year, so I can kind of pat them on the head nicely and let them enjoy their oh, yeah. title. But <laughs> but I did enjoy it. And they don't even care about being patronized because they have their World Series now. I'm looking at the photo. Unbelievable photographs, Brian. Um, and you mentioned the, the fact that the fans are very gracious, but the star of the show in terms of the homecoming was one of the players, Johnny <laughs> Gomez, who gave, we've, we've played some of this earlier on, Brian, I wouldn't describe it, I would describe it as highly entertaining, if not the most gracious winner's speech ever. We're very proud of him because he's a Bay Area guy, he's from oh. Petaluma, California, uh, which is a great city in, in Northern California that has a great tradition, an old farming city. That's a very proud town, Petaluma. It's not just one of those faceless suburban places. So people from Petaluma tend to have a lot of personality. And Johnny Gomes, as they pronounce it here, would uh, would definitely fit the bill. And you know what's funny about him, though, in the Royals is that if you look at that on paper, if you look at his speech on paper, it's like, yeah, wow, what a cocky dude crowing in everybody's face. But I swear to God, most every American sports fan who saw that reacted with a smile. They saw it for what it was, which was kind of just a fun celebration of uh, of just like, you know, yes, was he gloating? Absolutely. But he somehow pulled it off. He's charismatic enough, and he's built up enough uh, sort of equity as a sports figure over the years. He's known as this clubhouse guy. In fact, he barely played for the Royals at all. They only acquired him in August of this year, and he only had, I think, 30 at-bats. I mean, that's a paltry pittance of at-bats. But he's one of these guys, he's all heart. He was that way with the 2013 Red Sox when they won the championship. And so he's one of those guys, he's sort of the anti, in this era of data and analytics, you know, and metrics and and everything's measured. And we call it saber metrics over here in the States, how how all these uh, nerdy general managers are analyzing data everywhere. And it's the new face of sports that everything is, is a metric that can be quantified. Johnny Gomes is sort of from the seat of his pants, blood and guts, George S. Patton leadership. 
is the anti-data, the anti-metrics. You know, he's one of these clubhouse guys. So he wound up pulling it off over here, guys. Yeah, he also did your favorite trick, Brian, when you finished a good outside broadcast. He dropped the mic in front of the crowd <laughs> just to really <laughs> hammer home. I even think, guys, and, and we didn't talk about this. I know because you were, um, you guys were off in Cardiff, et cetera, but there was like a big controversy during the Royals. Or pardon me, the Blue Jays-Rangers playoff game. They had a very, very, very intense game where the whole crowd was going crazy. They threw objects on the field, and it was punctuated by Jose Bautista of the Blue Jays hitting one of the more memorable home runs in Blue Jays history. And he, he did what they call a bat flip, which is a, a no-no in the United States to, to disrespect the pitcher or the other team or the game by tossing your bat high into the air like you're, like you're so... You know, it's an over-celebration, and baseball has these crazy archaic rules where you're supposed to only, uh, you know, uh, put your head down and run with no emotion whatsoever. It's becoming under great scrutiny now as the Latin players have become more and more prevalent in the game, and they come from a much more celebratory style. But Jose Bautista's bat flip against Toronto was so insane. It caused basically an international controversy because he did it in Canada, and everybody in the States reacted, so we had multi-country reaction on the Jose Bautista bat flip. And that's a long way of saying Johnny Gomes, if you look at it, technically kind of flipped the mic. He didn't drop it. He kind of bat flipped the mic and that led to that uh, mosh pit. So yeah, he, uh, he had all the style points. The, you said it, this Gomes guy is fairly anti-moneyball, a little bit old school, more about his own personality. That seems to be the kind of player that they go for at this club. They've sort of rebuilt it over the last number of years, but they've gone against the prevailing trend of data analytics to any great degree, as far as I understand. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's funny. It's all to degrees now. It's all because I think every club uses them in every sport now, guys. I mean, it started in baseball, at least here in the States it did. And I don't know how prevalent it is over there now in, in Premier League soccer and all that, but but it started in baseball and it spread over to football. Now you're seeing it in the NBA. Teams like the Houston Rockets are like completely run by their data. And it's becoming a real, real, real issue about how to run a team. But I think the standard upper or sort of the standard um, way to say it is that every team uses them to some degree. It's just that how much does each team use it? And I think the Royals went ahead and went homegrown. They're a great story because not just because they hadn't won one in 30 years, but because they had really grown up as Royals. All these players that I'm sure many Irish don't know, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, these guys who came up together as Salvador Perez, the World Series MVP, they all came up through the farm system. And they were just they were taught to play the game the right way, to run the bases, to, to, to take that extra base when somebody wasn't looking. One of the most thrilling plays of the entire playoffs was Lorenzo Cain of the Royals scoring from first base on a single to break up to score the winning run that put them in the World Series. If you guys have a chance to look at that, if, you know people. I know. I know a lot of people, especially Ken, think baseball is so stultifyingly boring <laughs> you can't even look at it. If you want to see baseball be exciting, go look at Lorenzo Cain scoring from first base to clinch the American League pennant for the Royals. And that's what's so exciting about the Royals is that it's not necessarily you know oh this guy's OPS or I could I could bore you guys with all the acronyms they have now in baseball. There's like WRC plus and there's WAR and there's OP. It's all sorts of things, but the Royals are like, we're going to play baseball like the way the old fashioned way and not to get overly romantic about it, but it is the home of the Negro league baseball museum. And that was a style of play. The Negro leagues that was headquartered in Kansas city back in the 1910s and twenties and thirties. That was a style of base stealing and running the bases and playing the game with heart and passion as opposed to sort of just data and metrics. And yeah, the Royals kind of fit that bill. I think that's why I kind of liked them. Because, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're to this point where we're just like cheering for robots if you get so into data and metrics. And the Royals reminded you of what a human being can do just to kind of bore you with one last play. The Eric Hosmer, the, the, the run they scored, if I can continue to like point you guys to YouTube, yeah. the run they scored. I hope people have set aside a number of hours after this interview to go and look at <laughs> all these clips. So, so yeah. I got you guys looking up the Kansas City Star pictures, right? You yeah. got to do that. Uh, you got to go see Lorenzo Kane score from first on the uh, single in the American League Game 6 championship. And then you got to see Eric Hosmer score from third base in Game 5 of the World Series when the Royals were down 2-1 to one with two outs in the ninth. It's a crazy aggressive play that statistics show you should not try to run. He tried to score from third on an infield grounder, which generally you don't do. 
And he did it and forced the Mets to try to throw him out at home. And the Mets, the player from the Mets, a guy named Lucas Duda, wildly threw. He threw wildly home. He didn't. The most basic thing in baseball that you see Kevin Costner and his dad doing in Field of Dreams and Robert Redford doing at the end of the natural, which is to play catch, right? The most basic thing in baseball. Under the most intense pressure, the Mets couldn't play catch. And that's what the Royals, that's why they're so beautiful. They forced the Mets with Hosmer charging down the line from third. Okay, here I come. Throw me out. And Lucas Duda, in the pressure of the moment, wildly threw it over the catcher's head, and Hosmer scored. And that's the Royals, kind of in a nutshell. You're uh, you're the only interview uh, interviewee, Brian, that requires a bibliography afterwards. <laughs> uh, we do. We do. I can throw you another that. one too. There's a great photo on the New York Times. If you go to the New York Times Twitter feed, there's a great photo of Hosmer diving across the bag, diving across home plate, scoring that run. And it, it's a really cool little story because the photographer for the New York Times was trying to focus on Hosmer, but he said he blew the shot and, his, and he had back focus. So he wound up focusing on the, the, the crowd behind him. And it wound up, he said, accidentally being one of the best shots of the World Series because as a blurry Hosmer is diving across the plate, in sharp focus are the first five rows of the stands. And every Mets fan is in excruciating, dramatic agony, throwing their hands up in the air, shouting. Some guys are slapping their foreheads. You know, it's a really neat shot that shows you the moment the ball goes flying over the catcher's head. And, and, and he wound up with one of the most telling shots that the Mets fans were like, oh, my God, did that just happen? So there's another uh, bibliography note for you guys. Yeah, I'm too busy. I'm still caught on the Batista bat flip at the moment, <laughs> Brian. That, that's, that's the one I'm at at the moment. It looks good. He, I like the way he hits the home run. He pauses for a split second, thinks about it and says, yeah, I'm going to flip this bat. People oh, aren't going to like this. I'm telling you guys, there were T-shirts already. Like by the next morning, there were T-shirts of like the three stages of the bat flip. The swing, the stare. And then the just the disgusted chuck of the bat. It's like a it's like a silhouette. It's like a three silhouette shot. If you guys ever want to go to Toronto and be cool, the same way Owen was amazing when he you know wore all his Warriors gear. You know when he was Splash walking Brothers. around San Francisco in his Warriors gear. I wore it, I wore my Splash Brothers t shirt earlier today, Brian. Actually, uh, oh, by the Brian, way, they it's are literally off to an yeah. unbelievable start. They were playing incredible. <laughs> Fifty three points by Steph Curry last weekend. <laughs> He's doing historic things. I'm going to throw you guys one more thing. Okay. This is like bibliography mania. He did a really cool um, golf digest interview in which he he's videoed trying to be he's being interviewed while he's shooting threes and half court shots and they're throwing him rapid fire questions and he has to do it in a certain amount of time. It's really fun and it shows you Curry's personality and his skill set. That's at golfdigest.com. Okay. I'll just come over and just uh, I want to just come over and just like. I'll just send you guys a bunch of links, and then we'll just sit down and watch. How's that? Well, I, I think I cut you off. You were talking about how to be cool in Toronto by wearing the gear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, didn't you guys talk about doing a show in Toronto? Well, yeah. we could do. Yeah. Wasn't that one of the strong contenders before you came to San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Melbourne, yeah. Toronto, New York. There's a, there's a bidding war. It's, a very, it's akin to winning the Olympics, Brian. Uh, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a bidding are, process and you guys like thing. the Olympics you guys leave big empty buildings that uh, that cause brain <laughs> yeah, yeah. city finances yeah there's no right? legacy there's no real legacy <laughs> but um, if you ever want to go to Toronto find that Bautista shirt with the three silhouettes it's swing ponder toss it's kind of a funny one although it's a bit of a bitter memory because they actually wound up not making it to the world series and bautista when you guys do eventually sit down and see lorenzo kane score from first on the single Bautista's the guy who sort of throws it to the wrong base not really he throws it to the right base technically but inside baseball the kansas city royals took advantage of the traditional play and took the extra base when the when the blue jays weren't thinking they would so I know that's inside baseball, so uh, we can change the subject anytime you want. But, no, uh, that's where we wanted to go, Brent. That is where we wanted to go. And listen, the good news for everyone here is there, the Wi-Fi connection. Uh, we've got full bars at the moment, so we're going to take some time now and start watching through all these clips. Brian Murphy, thanks so much. <laughs> all the best, guys. That's one of those things. It's one of those things. Duffman 
can never die. Only the actors who play him. All right, hope you enjoyed US Murph there. A good form as always, despite us leaving him there for about six weeks in the end of that Skype line. He knew we'd come, he, he we'd knew, come back. He knew we'd, we'd come put back. That, we were put that back, fader yeah. back up. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about there was the demise of Grantland, the website, the ESPN website, uh, which has been one of our favourites for quite a number of years. There aren't... There are two schools of thought. A lot of people are tweeting us about this, and there are two schools of thought. Mo- a lot of criticism for ESPN for letting this thing go. It was something a little bit different. It was something that promoted long-form written journalism in a way that a lot of websites just don't anymore, and a lot of media is just isn't consumed in this way anymore. There's a lot of smart stuff, a lot of great writers, Brian Phillips, these kind of guys on there who are, are absolutely superb. Once Bill Simmons was shit-canned away from his job, it was I, I thought it was always going to go anyway, because the other school of thought says... Well, this is a website that basically doesn't make any money and ESPN are in the business of making a hell of a lot of money, so of course they were going to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, ESPN could have afforded to keep Grantland going, but as you said, um, given that it was Bill Simmons' project and he's no longer there, then suddenly the political will suddenly looks a little bit different at ESPN. I mean, the the fact that they were losing money, um, any anyone who's losing money is obviously vulnerable. You know what I mean? It's like uh, East, an organization like ESPN could easily afford to keep a website like Grantland going easily. Yeah, I'm sure the money it was losing wasn't exactly going to sink ESPN. Either. No, of course, of course it's not. It's just that the money, the money thing always gets gets drawn in as like a final argument. Well, you're losing money anyway, so yeah. you know what right do, what right have you got to exist? You know, um, but in reality, uh, I mean. Something, some, it's, it's, it's really, it's really hard to know. It's, I think it's a terrible pity that something like Grantland, you know, can't survive in a way that it makes money. I think that's unfortunate. And also, uh, one point that uh, Simmons has raised is that it's not as though this idea, uh, it's just not making money. ESPN haven't promoted it in no. any meaningful way, and he would say that they, he, he was fighting tooth and nail. To be honest, the way. You're talking about a personality clash there of this guy who became this massive star at ESPN and then had these constant bust-ups with the bosses there. They might have given him Grant and just to shut him up, essentially. Just to say, okay, this is one thing you want. You take this and we'll take you on in another political way. We don't really care and we're not going to promote it. It took a while for it even to be on the ESPN homepage for any link, to, as far as I know, for any link to be there for Grantland. There was no great advertising budget spent on it. So part, a massive part of the reason that it hasn't made money, it's not, just, it's not that people don't want to read really intelligent journalism. It's that they didn't push it, you know, they yeah. didn't push it in a way because they didn't really want it to succeed. No, I mean, and and I'm sure that they, when they set it up or when it was set up, it was with the intention of, of becoming commercially successful as well as worthwhile in itself, you know, which is what, if you if you like Ronald, you also say, well, it's great. Like, you know, an, an organization like ESPN that's got so much money should support uh, some kind of journalism of this quality because they're getting something in return for that money. I mean, Grantland is is in the in the scale of ESPN a tiny mm. a tiny little expense. They were but maybe three, what they're three or four million a year on it, which you know obviously sounds like a huge amount of money. But does it sound like a huge amount of money when they're paying you know billions of dollars a year to the NBA and the NFL? Yeah, you know, blatantly it's, it's, not. It's, a, it's just a drop in the ocean for for them. I mean, what? You know, the idea that you're losing money, you're not necessarily just, you can't look at it just in financial terms. It's not just a question of, well, this, what, what does Grantland mean for ESPN? Well, a, a $3 million loss, whatever the figure was. I don't know. I don't know what the exact figure was. Let's say, hypothetically, well, it's a $3 million loss, but that's, it doesn't end there. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not just, it's not just a thing that makes you lose $3 million a year. You're also getting something in return for, what you're funding. You're associating your brand with a sort of a quality outlet. I mean, this is the reason that people spend money on advertising. You spend money on advertising, you could view that as like throwing your money in the river, but obviously you don't. You're saying, I'm spending this money on advertising uh, and sponsorship or whatever because I want to improve the awareness or improve the image of my brand, which is an intangible thing that you're getting in return for your money. That is what Grantland, I would have imagined, should have been doing for ESPN. I mean, I think it was to a certain extent, and in, within ESPN, 
once the kind of wind changed against it, then suddenly they're like, oh no, it's just $3 million down the tubes. Let's get rid of this thing. That's it for this podcast. You can have a listen to the football show if you get a chance. We put that out already today. So it's there waiting for you. Ian Eyre, can't talk to Ian Eyre at the Web Summit, as you mentioned earlier on. And Richie Sadler was in studio talking. Jose Mourinho, mostly. What I have tweeted, by the way, just as we've been speaking to say that their independent commission confirms its investigation findings will be delivered at a Geneva press conference on Monday, 9th of November at 3 o'clock Central European time. So that's the Dick Pound led investigation into what's what's been going on in Russia and the allegations of cover-ups, which has played some sort of a part in the what looks like the downfall of the very top man there. The guy who was a top man for a number of years in the IWF. So that's Monday. There'll be a big press conference on Monday afternoon. I'm sure we'll chat to you about that then. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Owen. We'll chat to you soon. Take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 